And so gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of all our hearts and minds together this morning be found pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's not a particularly secret thing that I don't like the sea, nor that keen on rivers or indeed on lakes. I think they look lovely. I love living by the sea. I like the way the water helps people relax. I like the way the air is just so clean and bright and how having water around changes the atmosphere of places. But getting on boats, getting out there on the water, no, I am fine, thank you very much. I've yet to go over a bridge or a boat in my life without a momentary thought coming into my mind about what would happen if the bridge collapsed or the boat sank. Now, I've never not gone over a bridge or got on a boat because of it, but uh, it's something that is always there and I'm sure is deeply rooted in some sort of childhood memory. I know cats don't like water much. I'm told hedgehogs are the same too, and I'm with them. And I've always thought there was a lot to commend hedgehogs to us. But today, as we continue our series of Sundays, exploring the encounters that Jesus has with people in John's Gospel, and what we might learn about how Jesus um, works in our lives, um, we come to something that happens entirely on the water and it's all about being out on the, on the lake. And as we come to this part of John 6, there's an awful lot that's going on in the verses that we've heard read to us. This whole section of John's Gospel, in fact, the preceding verses and a little bit afterwards, has lots of connections with Moses and with the Exodus and with the Passover. And our passage this morning is no different. And as we come to the story where Jesus walks on the water, it's really important, I think, to see the connection between these two stories. You see, in the Old Testament, the people of God had begun their journey to freedom by coming through the Red Sea, with the waters parting in front of them and then closing in again on their pursuers. It was Moses who led the people through the Red Sea and the crowds in John 6 have just been declaring that Jesus is the prophet who they've been waiting for. He's like Moses who will lead the people into freedom. Now the crowds in these moments were looking for another great act of political liberation that was going to throw off uh, the yoke of slavery from the Romans and their oppressors. But Jesus was talking about something different, something bigger, something greater. He does, however, do something that has the disciples thinking and marveling and without exemption, literally remembering the Exodus story. Part of the reason that I think they would have made the connection is that on the whole, the Jewish people, like me, were not that keen on the sea. They weren't much of a seafaring race at this time. In their ancient stories and tales, the sea was most often about chaos. The sea was evil. It was about untamable forces and so on. And they would sing songs about how their God, how Yahweh was king over the mighty waters. And all of this is in John's mind as he uh, talks to us about Jesus praying up in the mountains, away from the crowds, until late in the evening, when the disciples had set off back to Capernaum in a boat. Now, the Sea of Galilee, where they are, is roughly 12 miles long, seven miles wide, 
Uh, so it's no Pacific Ocean, but certainly big enough to be in the middle and have no sight of the shoreline anywhere. As they row across, the waters are getting tough, the wind is getting up and it's become a little bit scary. They've made it a good chunk of the way across, but now it's getting harder and harder to keep going. Because though the Sea of Galilee was an inland uh, body of water, it was subject to very strong winds, which meant the water was often dangerous. Having said that, the fact that it was dark and the sea was rough might not have been that unusual for all of the disciples, because we know that some of them were professional fishermen before they gave that up to follow Jesus. And they may have experienced things like this before. And then Jesus comes walking to them on the water. This certainly isn't something that they've experienced before. If someone's coming towards you um, on the waves, it, if that doesn't shake you up, um, make you question all sorts of things in those moments, I don't really know what would. You're doing your best to keep the boat the right way up and then you turn around to see something that looks like a person walking towards you. You're wondering if you've banged your head or you're having a funny turn. You're trying to remember if you had something unusual for dinner before uh, or if you're still asleep. But no, here on the water, amidst all the waves and the wind and the noise and the chaos, amidst all of that, is Jesus. And you know, sometimes, friends, when Jesus shows up, it isn't always in ways that we might expect or in ways that make us feel like we're sitting in a cosy chair by a fire with a glass of red wine and a good book. Sometimes when Jesus shows up in our lives, it's in ways that are unexpected and ways that profoundly challenge us and our faith. And so he speaks to us through people we don't expect him to. And sometimes he pushes us to think about something and we feel challenged. Perhaps it's what we do with our money, how we treat people we don't understand or disagree with, about our level of commitment to following him. Whatever it is, often when Jesus shows up in our lives, it makes us realise how much more we have to learn about being his disciples. Now, walking on water is likely not to have been something that the disciples had on their tick sheets to look out for. Jesus is doing something which they hadn't seen coming and that is making them think again about life and about what is possible. I wonder what sort of things might not be on your tick sheets to look out for this morning. The things that you're expecting Jesus to do. How might Jesus shake us up and in doing so demand a little bit more faith and awe from us? It can be scary when that happens. Everything that we thought we had nailed down and is sorted is opened up again. Issues we thought were simple and boxed and done and dusted are now not so simple. And where we thought things were going well, it turns out they could be even better. The challenge, I think, in part, is that most of us instinctively don't like change. We don't want to be challenged. We just want to reach the point, we're working to get to the point where we don't have to work anymore. We want to reach the point in our faith where we've learnt enough, we've worked out enough, and we don't have to think. The idea that Jesus might go on challenging us and encouraging us to consider new things can be a little bit daunting. The prospect of it can be exhausting 
before we even get to whatever it is. But Jesus sees or senses the fear of the disciples in that moment. And he says to them, it's me, don't be afraid. The disciples that recognize Jesus and they take him into the boat. And then we're told immediately the boat had reached the shore, another miracle. Now Matthew and Mark's gospel uh, also give us versions of this story. John's not the only place where we find it. Although they have other bits in their versions that we don't find in John, like Peter walking out onto the water in Matthew, for example. But what all three of them do is they place this event right after the feeding of a great crowd, which you can read about in the beginning of John 6. What they also fail to do in any of their accounts is to provide any kind of rationalisation of what has just happened. There's no attempt to explain that Jesus was standing on a sandbank or something like that. You either come to the text with a view of what is or isn't possible and refuse to countenance new things, which I would dare to suggest approaching the text with our mind made up about exactly what is possible for God and what isn't is not the most fruitful way to approach the reading of scripture and an exceptionally unfruitful way of approaching John's gospel. Instead, we're encouraged to come with an open mind to new possibilities that are yet to be imagined. We come seeking God for ways that have been made known and ways that are to be made known. God is still at work. The Spirit is alive, provoking us and helping us consider new things, dreaming dreams of the kingdom, of justice and hope, helping us find forgiveness and repentance and faith. The miraculous thing that Jesus does here in this text. It's not, not really about Jesus having to prove who he is or anything like that. Instead, they are profound moments where we're not so much seeing what Jesus can do, but we're glimpsing the word made flesh in ways that are closely associated with the heart of God's people. John makes a point of telling us that the crowds were puzzled by all that's been going on. Quite frankly, I'm not surprised. They knew Jesus hadn't set off in the boat, and yet when they managed to get to the other side, and they've had quite a trek, the crowds, heading round this inland body of water, they find that the boat's already arrived and that Jesus is there. They don't know what happened. They don't know exactly what has taken place, but they know that Jesus is there. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, but I have. An experience where you don't quite know what is happening or what has happened, but you know that Jesus is there. He doesn't answer every question, but it's enough for us to face the day and to press on and to have faith in God's mercy and in God's truth. There are all sorts of times in our lives and we very rarely see them coming, but there are times in our lives when the storm breaks, when the wind gets up, when the sea becomes rough, when everything is challenged, when we're pressed and crushed and struggling. There are times when life seems to be one great, raging, powerful, scary mess. 
And as we struggle to plow on through those times, to keep trying to get across the lake, sometimes we become aware of a presence with us. Sometimes this presence might initially disturb us more than comfort us. I'm drowning here, I don't need any more grief. I'm struggling, I don't need anyone else on my back. But if we listen to the roar of the wind and the waves, we may just hear a voice that says to us in those moments, it's me, don't be afraid. And if we're ready then to take Jesus on board, we may find ourselves sooner than expected at the harbour, where it will be calm and secure and safe once more. And if friends, if you're in the middle of a storm, if you're facing uncertainty, if you're struggling with what's going on in your life, I pray that that might be a reality that the Spirit brings to pass for you. May you each know the presence of God in your life today, I pray. Amen.